Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast, and I'm glad you're with me. I'd come down with Discusia if you gave me a taste of the idea that you missed this week's show. Build your best, better board. Gene Takagi returns. He's got strategies to help you build the diverse, effective, thoughtful, appropriately sized, well-trained board you deserve. He's our legal contributor and managing attorney of NEO, the nonprofit and exempt organizations law group. On Tony's Take Two, podcast pleasantries and planned giving accelerator. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn hyphen two. Co. It's my pleasure to welcome back, as it always is, Gene Takagi. He's our legal contributor, managing attorney of NEO, the nonprofit and exempt organizations law group in San Francisco. He edits the enormously popular nonprofitlawblog.com and is a part-time lecturer at Columbia University. The firm is at neolawgroup.com and he's at GTAC. Gene, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Many, many years. It's a pleasure each time that you're, uh, you are teaching us what's important, what we need to keep centered, what's, uh, where what our ship should all be facing in the same direction. So what direction is that? You keep us, you keep us on the straight path. I appreciate it. I know our listeners do too. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Let's get started with uh, you're building your best, better board. We're not we're not gonna we're not gonna settle on nonprofit radio for your lackluster better board. We want your best, better board. And I think the place to start is with board roles. So, what are we expecting our board members to do? Yeah, I I love this conversation, Tony. It's actually one of my favorites. And oh, we- excellent. Yeah, it it was probably, gosh, it was early on, I think, when we first talked a little bit about boards getting sort of distracted from doing the financial oversight and forgetting to do some of the other things that boards are supposed to do. Um, And, you know, part of what we talked about could have been like seven, eight years ago was like, hey, somebody should be overseeing, you know, what are the programs doing? Are they having an impact or not? Are they really furthering your mission in the way that you want them to. You know, Gene, I have to remind you, you and I did a mock board meeting one time and either you threw me off the board or I walked out. I forget which. (laughs) (laughs) It was back in the old studio. It was many years ago. I don't know. I don't know what we're talking. It was something board related, obviously, but uh, yeah, either I got booted off or I walked out and quit. I forget. (laughs) We're trying to avoid that. We're trying to avoid that in our best, better board. But we're definitely going to try to approach any of these things with with extreme tact. Yes, I lack, which I often lack. I I probably walked out. I probably quit or something. But yeah, just just overall to say financial diligence is great. So take a look at the financials, make sure you understand them and make sure that the organization is able to pay off its debts as they become due, that you're not sort of bleeding money and and mismanaging your financial assets. But nonprofits exist more than to produce a financial bottom line, of course. So, you know, in in the for-profit world, boards have probably got a different duty. 
maybe a little bit more, I mean, the, everybody has to act in the best interest of the corporation, right? That's a fiduciary duty. But what is the best interest of a corporation? For a for-profit, oftentimes it's associated, at least in large part, the benefit of its owners or shareholders. Sure, sure. But in the nonprofit, there are no shareholders or owners, right? It, it's for the benefit of advancing the mission. And that's what the board has got to remember, that it's got to be purpose-driven. It's got to be um, acting in furtherance of the mission ahead of everything else. Um, and the one caveat I'll add to that, um, which we may have talked a little about, bit about before as well, is you've got to add values to that statement. So there are values probably baked into your mission statement, but also baked into the organizational culture. So if our mission is to feed people who are experiencing homelessness or um, uh, a lack of income resources, we're, we're not just going to throw food out in a trough, right? You know, that might be the best way or the most uh, effective way to get as many people fed as possible, but that would be completely inconsistent with anybody's values. Or, um, so values and mission sort of go hand in hand and focusing on that is really important. So not just financial oversight, but programmatic oversight. The role of the board has got to look forward too. You've got to set the path with those values and mission for the organization's future, not just looking behind you, but looking ahead. Um, and so guiding the organization with those thoughts, acting as ambassadors, getting the feedback from the environment about what challenges and what opportunities may be out there. Those are all things the board can bring back to the executive and to the staff sort of to, to help them do their best. And, and these are all very uh, lofty and, and um, I don't want to say pedagogical because that makes it sound like they're not grounded but but these are these are very we haven't even talked about you know how many board meetings you have to attend in a year and how many subcommittees you have to serve on you know we haven't gotten to that yet you know we're talking about the uh the ambition but but it has to be centered it's it's the like you said it's the mission and values of the organization i mean if someone doesn't respect those then you're not going to get your best better board you're going to get a crappy person, maybe he gives a lot of money, but ultimately the ships are not sailing in the same direction with all the board members on each one. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I loved your introduction about having the best better board, not this lackluster. Not a lackluster better board. Yeah, that's for other podcasts, not the radio. <laughs> we, don't, we don't tolerate lackluster, mediocrity, uh, mediocre better boards. So we want the we want the best better board. All right. So so it really it really does start with loft and ambition around around mission and values i i definitely think yeah. so yeah okay okay so now let's drill down i mean you have you in terms of what we're expecting the board to do you have to be upfront with what these expectations are and Absolutely. that that happens in recruitment right not not in their first board meeting you should be explaining the, the expectations while you're talking to somebody about joining the board not after they have joined Absolutely. And, and too often I see, Tony, and I, I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but somebody tries to recruit you onto the board and they go, it's really not that much work. You know, it's pretty yeah. easy. Um, well, that's going to get you a lackluster and maybe not even a better board. So, um, yeah, so it really is about setting expectations of, hey, you really believe in this mission and you 
have the same values that we're trying to move forward with. Let's do something great with this organization. Let's make a great impact here. This is, these are the kind of things that we expect of our board. This is how often we meet. You know, this is um, what we expect of each board member in terms of attendance and in terms of maybe making uh, a meaningful contribution. I, I don't like set amounts because that can hurt diversity and inclusive inclusion, but um, a, a meaningful uh, donation to, to the organization. It could be in time, if not in money or in other ways, but um, the expectations I, I think need to be spelled out in front before you actually invite somebody onto the board. And when you're spelling them out, I mean, do you, do you like to see a writing, a, a document with, you know, please take this home with you and consider, consider as we're having our conversations about, about you being on the board, consider all these things, like you give them a document to, to read or just a conversation? I, I think both, Tony. So I, I, you know, it may depend upon the organization, how formal they get, but if you do actually have a recruiting sort of policy or procedure or a recruiting committee in place, I like to put some things down in writing just to make sure that we're all on the same page and, and letting people know what the organization's expectations are and how often boards meet and if there is a, a meaningful you know, contribution uh, expectation, all of those things up front. So if somebody is not interested, they can right away say, you know, this isn't for me, you know, I like what you do, but it's not for me. And another or you know, person who might say, I'm really interested in doing all of those things, you know, I'd love to be a part of your board. All right, so be upfront about expectations. There's no point in, in concealing the work and the requirements only to have the person blindsided when it comes time around, when it comes time for each board member to make their annual contribution. And, and, and they didn't know that it was supposed to be a meaningful gift or they, they didn't know there was a board giving requirement of any sort. You know, when it comes time to assign committees, I didn't know I was gonna be on a committee I thought I just came to board members, board meetings four times a year. Now we have committee meetings too. I didn't know about that. You know, then you, you set yourself up for a disaster. Yeah, I think that's right. And if you, if you start to, um, the, you know, the danger of it is, is you don't want to just sort of create this list of these are the things you have to do for the organization to run. You've got to always, again, relate it back to the mission and values. This is why we love to contribute as board members to the organization, because this is what impact we can have. And this is the direction we see ourselves going to be able to have even greater impact. So yeah. just keep reinforcing that message to get your best board members. Gene, let me ask you a question. Are you, are you, uh, are you by any chance playing with a pen or, uh, or anything? I am not. Oh, am I rocking back and forth on my chair? Is that hands are free. No, there's like a little clicking and I'm not, I know you're not. I know you're not typing. Like you're not writing a document while we're talking. Are you? <laughs> you writing a, a, a client agreement or something? No. Typical things you expect from a lawyer, right? <laughs> yeah, you double bill your time, right? <laughs> you get eight hundred dollars an hour. Bill two clients at four hundred dollars an hour. Do do the. You're sitting in one's office. You're doing the work for the other. No. Okay. No, you're not. Your hands are free. Okay. I don't know. There's like little. Mice are clicking or something. Maybe I'm rocking in my chair. I will try to hold uh, back my enthusiasm. <laughs> okay, all right. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like that. Okay. Well, listeners, I can't identify the, the sound of the, but I, I'll call it out since because I'm not going to keep it quiet because we all hear it. So may as well talk about it. Well, I don't know what it is. This little tapping, clicking, mice mouse sound. Let's talk about diversity. That, this should be a value. You and I have talked about this. We've had heartfelt uh, conversations a couple of times about 
white male power and and using that power and sharing power and so let's talk about diversity as a value for your board how how does that play into what we're talking about your your, your best better board sure and you know for for the organizations who you know have responded to sort of this increasing understanding and awareness that diversity is an issue in various aspects, um, not just on board composition, but in the way um, our infrastructure as a country and even as a world is designed where um, people who are in positions of power, no matter what race or gender or whatever, whatever they are, tend to create systems that keep themselves in power. And so diversity has this great benefit of saying, let's take other lenses and look at what we're doing and look at the world that we're in um, for nonprofits, especially the world that's directly impacting what we're trying to do out there for the people we're trying to do it for, what is impacting it, who is being affected the most. Um, And if that's important to to organizations and their leaders, then I think they've really got to embrace diversity, not just by saying it, but by actually putting action steps into what they're doing, whether that's going to be building it into true board diversity with inclusion. So not making people feel, you know, like they're they're just a simple tokens of taking a better picture but really being able to contribute to the power of the organization to address things that other people may not have seen. So, you know, I may identify with people who I relate to, but I may have very little understanding or perspective of people who are different from me, who congregate in different circles, who have different ideas. Um, And we have to think about all of those things, especially if we're serving a class of beneficiaries that our board members may be far away from. So if we have a board that's more privileged and we are helping um, a, a lot of people who don't have some of the privileges that the board may have in, in terms of representation, how will we ever see the world through their lens? How will they understand? How will we understand what our services are doing from their eyes? Um, so trying to, to get that diversity in an inclusive matter for the purposes of increasing equity, I think is a value that nonprofits should strive for. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. Relationships. They've got the relationships with the media outlets so that when you need to be in the news, when there's a news item that you need to comment on, your voice needs to be heard, turn to has the relationships to get you heard. It's not cold calling. They have the existing relationships. Think of it like gifts. You get a lot of gifts from cold calls. Do you get any gifts from cold calls? Do you get your best gifts from cold calls if you're doing cold call fundraising? No, you don't, of course. It's the same with media. The relationships are in place. So when you want to be heard, turn to picks up the phones and leverages those relationships. That way you're going to get heard. Turn to communications, turn hyphen to.co. Now back to build your best, better board. Diversity has to be centered. Um, but, and, and you want it to go deeper than just like 
the board should reflect the community or the board should reflect those we serve. You know, I mean, you're looking for something deeper than just reflecting an environment. I think so. So it is reflecting different perspectives as well. So I think traditionally we thought of it as a skills-based diversity. Like we need a lawyer, we need an accountant, we need yeah. a financial manager, a fundraiser on our board. And then we became all a little bit more woke. And we said, hey, we need racial diversity uh, in our organizations. Um, but we didn't say why that was, or many of us didn't say, like, why do we need racial diversity in our organizations? Is it simply to make it look like we embrace diversity and we take the better picture? Or is it because we want a true understanding from somebody else with a different lens and perspective who could tell us if there are gaps in our services for their communities, if there are gaps in the laws that are creating inequities um, that affect our mission as well. So the more we get these other perspectives, whether it be from a racial diversity angle or from a disability angle, which I think is increasingly a really important thing to, to look at as we uh, are facing a, an older population um, where disabilities are highly, you know, they make up a great percentage of our organizations and they're kind of sort of the, the unseen uh, group in many ways. Um, we're just getting started on addressing some of those concerns, but um, the way we serve people can, you know, really miss uh, many of those that are impacted that, that would be true beneficiaries of our service if they could access our services. But yeah. if we don't make it accessible to them, then we just miss them. And that may be completely unintentional. But if we don't have people who can identify and spot those things um, because they live it, um, that would be, you know, short, a shortfall, you know, in leadership. And that's where we have to sort of address um, taking a look with a, a much broader lens and not just in our boards, but in our programming, in our staffing, and just getting more awareness uh, and bringing more lenses to what we're doing. Let's talk about bringing someone new to the board because we're going to be recruiting our new board members that are going to be part of our best, better board. So now that if we've recruited the right people, we need to socialize them to the organization. It's more than, I think it's more than just formal training. You know, the, the organization has a culture, the board has a culture. Hopefully they're healthy. I mean, let's assume, let, let's take that as the, <laughs> let's, let's assume that it's, these are healthy cultures, not, not cultures we're trying to reverse, uh, you know, like intolerance or something, but healthy cultures. There's a, tr a formal training and an informal training. I absolutely agree with you. So, um, you, you know, orientations can start even at recruitment, but once you decide that you want to elect somebody onto the board and they want to be part of the board and you elect them, I think it really is important now for them to be ingrained in what the uh, organizations and, and the board culture is, what the priorities are, mm -hmm. getting a better sense of, you know, what the programs are. Um, I'll confess, I've been part of boards where I may not have a very good understanding of some of the programs. Um, I get lost in some of the, you know, again, the financial reports and maybe one program officer, you know, a year shows up and describes their program. Well, that, that's not really giving me a full sense of what the organization is doing. Mm. So more of that um, is really going to be beneficial. Um, it will also help in sort of 
preventing there from being this wall between who the board is and who the staff and, and who are the people that are actually implementing the program are other than the executive director. So boards often just meet with the executive director, but in an orientation or training, I think more deeply getting ingrained in that. So board staff retreat, joint retreats are good things. Board buddies and maybe a board staff buddy system could also- Is that, be is that like, uh, is that a mentoring a board board buddy? Is that yeah, I, I think it could be partly mentoring, but I think the relationship really extends both ways, right? We can get more information from an outsider's perspective to help the organization. And when they have fresh eyes, they may see different things. So instead of just saying, I know more than you, I'm going to mentor you, we can be buddies and learn from each other. And then you mentioned staff buddies too. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad idea for boards, again, to get more um, involved with their staff. We don't want to micromanage though. So there is this fine line there, but just getting an understanding from the staff about what they see in the organization, I think is important other than the executive director who may be the one who attends every board meeting. Uh, but if we just see one other staff member once a year, you know, that, that really isn't giving a sense of what is going on and what the organizational culture is. We might know what the board culture is, but do we really know what the organizational culture is? If it's a staff buddy, it's not only micromanagement from the board member down, but then you, ha you also have to be conscious of the staff member trying to leverage a, a relationship with a board member, like trying to do something or avoid doing something that the CEO may want or their vice president that they report to may want or something, you know, that, that it just... It has to be managed. That's all. Just you have to be conscious of the possibility of somebody exploiting and a relationship with a board member saying things that are inappropriate to board members. I think this has to be designed with a consultant who really understands the area. Because you're absolutely okay. right, Tony. Yeah. If you if you aren't careful, what you're doing is you're creating people um, going behind the executive's back to make complaints to board members, and that's not what the purpose is. So um, it might be controlled by saying, "Hey." The board staff buddy thing is a meeting of the board and staff person in a joint group, in a group where we're all meeting in different corners of the room and just talking about certain specific topics. So it can be regulated a little bit more carefully with rules of the game spelled out in advance. This is not a place to complain about employment issues. This is yeah. not, yeah. Um, what, what do you like for board terms? What Do you have... Advice, uh, two years, three years, should, how, many, how many years or how many terms should a board member be allowed to continue on? Um, there's, there's not you know, one specific answer. I hate that right. the lawyer's answer, it depends, <laughs> but it, it does. But let me just say, in a large number of cases, I like the two to three year term, um, both balancing a little bit of need for continuity and giving a fair expectation to a, a new board member of that this is not just gonna be a one year thing and you're out. Um, uh, and I like to have board terms to make sure that the board doesn't become very insular in its thinking and in its diversity by keeping board members on perpetually, you know, until they're ready to resign. It also makes it hard to ever remove a board member if people think that they have a right to serve on the board forever. So I kind of like um, board members not to be on boards for like maybe five or six years. Um, having said that, there are times not when- to, to not be on for five or six years? 
to beyond that. Beyond for five. Yeah. So like maybe two, two, three year terms, two, two year terms or two, three year terms at the most. Yeah. Something, something like that. Now, a lot of exceptions to that. If you have, if you've had trouble um, building a board and you have some great champions on the board, but those have been kind of the, the long-term people who really know and who've really invested and everybody else has been sort of lackluster. Um, I don't think you should kick off your strongest board members. So you have to really think about that um, before you implement it. It is a sort of an idealistic goal to have those term limits and um, two to three year terms. But um, in other situations, I would say one size doesn't fit all. So take a look at your own board composition first before you make those type of decisions. What about in terms of socializing to the board having social events for the board occasionally. Maybe it's a dinner after a meeting. Um, I wouldn't have cocktails before a meeting, but you could have cocktails after a meeting. You know, trying to get the board to get to know, the members to know each other outside the board. What else do you do? You go skiing, you go snowmobiling, you know, you're a fisher, fisherman, you know, things like that. Yeah, I, I love that idea. I've even had cocktails before a board meeting. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think there's a risk in that. All right. <laughs> but yes, um, for board members to trust each other and to be open to each other's ideas and respect each other, the more you know each other, the more the likelihood that that's all going to happen and that you're going to actually build the board culture rather than have people who don't know each other who are trying to get out of the meeting to you know watch a basketball game or home with their family and sort of sit and say this is my duty for the next hour or two I'm going to sit here take notes and listen and try to do my job but think of it just as a job yeah. it's going to be less productive I think than if you come in and say I love these people that I kind of get to work with and we're trying to build something great so we can make change in the world or in our community and so I really like coming to these events and uh, getting a sense of it sometimes there's you know those icebreaker things, you know, for five or 10 minutes in front of a meeting, yeah. that, that can be hit or miss and oftentimes a miss. How many people can you talk to in 10 minutes? Yeah. And, and that's another that? reason why you shouldn't have too big a board as well. If you have 50 people at a two hour board meeting, how many people are going to get to talk? Yeah. Right. That too. Yeah. So I know that, I know your answer is there's no hard and fast answer for this one, but since you just led into it, share your advice on, on, on board size. Yeah, so my maybe not so helpful advice is not too few and not too many. Um, but if we dive down a little deeper, you need um, or you'd like to have as many board members as you can utilize to help you govern the organization and help the organization and the board do its best job. So if that number is eight or if that number is 15, that's you know, that may be your ideal board size. It's more important to me to get the right people on the board um, rather than the right number. But um, if you can, if you have less than five and you're a mature organization, I start to worry that you're gonna lack that diversity in many different perspectives. Um, and if you've got more than 20, I have a feeling that a lot of board members feel like their contributions are not being heard because they don't have an opportunity to, to sort of 
verbally contribute, especially if there are a few dominant board members at meetings. And in a two hour meeting, even 20 people are gonna have a chance to say how much about how many issues, it'll be very few. So um, to really think about that and you wanna encourage board members to attend every board meeting, not just sort of half of the board meetings or think that they can take a free ride because we've got enough people to do that job. You know, I'll just help on a committee. You don't want them to feel that way. You want them to feel very invested. So you feel like an expectation is you'll attend every board meeting, either physically or, or virtually? I, I think that's the expectation. And if people are missing, you know, one out of four, one out of five meetings, one out of 10 meetings, you know, that might be acceptable for special circumstances, but you don't want it to be a habit. I think you want to aspire to have everybody attend all of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what do you, what do you feel like talking about uh, board wise that we haven't talked about yet? Let's not go to how to get rid of a board member yet. That's, that's toward the end. <laughs> what's your what's on your mind around your best better board well we, we talked about kind of the expectations of what the board should do but i think you know each director's got to ask that question of themselves as well and maybe that's part of the board recruitment uh, and orientation package is kind of a list of you know however many 10 things that board members should aspire to do themselves uh, to be part of this board and attend all meetings. We talked about that, but what else should they do? They should review financials regularly. Um, so if they're getting a financial before each meeting, they should review them. They should know that they are expected to ask questions. Now that might be at the board meeting or that might be before the board meeting, but if they're getting information, a board package in advance, which you know they should get um, about the matters that are going to be up for discussion at the board, they should know that they should review it first. Uh, and if they have any questions, they should share it with the group. Um, and that doesn't happen enough in, in my opinion that there are these questions and everybody saves it for the board meeting and then they run out of time to discuss all of the issues that they want to. So just having it kind of on an email, sort of a mass email, the board package comes out on email and people can ask questions about it so that everybody gets an advanced preview of what some of the issues are before you go into that board meeting and then start to discuss things in a little bit more detail. Some of those things might need a little research to be answered. So the executive might have to, you know, talk to an accountant or a lawyer or someone else and say, let's find out what the answer is. And, you know, th that does away with that issue uh, even before the meeting, if you can share that information. So that's a, another thing to, to just think about. Okay. What, about managing the board. Uh, some, some larger organizations have a board liaison, where that's probably not most of our listeners, but that someone who's devoted to the board, I think that's more like university style, big university style. But there does have to be a lot of staff support for a board. I mean, yeah. not only the, you know, I mean, you mentioned getting the board packages to them at least a week, I'd say in advance, maybe a week or 10 days in advance, something like that. But it goes beyond that. Board members have questions, have these questions that you're suggesting they ask in advance of meetings. Um, committee work has to be supported. How do, we, how do we make sure that we're giving the, the board members the support that they need? Yeah, and it's a great balance. It's a, it, well, it's a great question, but it is a, a tough one to answer because of the balance that you have to think of. You want the board to be informed so that they can be of help to the organization, but you don't want the board to put on so many demands upon the staff 
that they're really hurting the staff's ability to do the work of the organization, the mm-hmm. programmatic work that's needed. So there is a little bit of balance there. I know many staff members and executives hate kind of preparing the board <laughs> for the board meeting because it may take so much work. And sometimes it's because they're trying to justify what they are doing to the board because the board may come in with a little bit of a negative skew about, you know, prove to us that you're doing, you know, good work of some kind. And that may be the perception that the staff is getting. I don't think any boards are are overtly saying that, but I feel that staff can come into it a little bit defensively in preparation of board materials, rather than this is an ally of ours. This should be the strongest ally that we have this board group. Let's give them information and questions for them so that they can help us do our job better. Um, And that, that takes time, but um, how many staff are involved? Well, the executive certainly is, is meeting with them. That probably goes without saying. If there is a financial person there other than the executive, that person should probably have frequent contact. It's time for Tony's Take Two. The podcast pleasantries, they got to go out. That's what we start with. Plan Giving Accelerator, that's coming. The podcast pleasantries. Ah, I'm, I'm enjoying the nostalgia of sending these again. I've missed it. I guess I I uh, ignored it for a while. My my mistake. I'm sorry about that. Pleasantries to you, our podcast listener. Well, you individually, but there's more than just one of you out there. There's over 13,000 of you out there. So to the podcast listeners, pleasantries. You know I'm grateful. I am. I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad you're learning that Nonprofit Radio helps you, helps your organization open conversations, take action steps, uh, open discussions with the board, your CEO, your vice president, whoever it is you bring stuff to. I'm glad it helps you do all that. And I hope there's the action steps too. I'm sure there are. There is. I'm sure there are the action steps. I'm sure there are. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with me. Pleasantries to our podcast listeners, each of you. Plan Giving Accelerator, that is the online membership community that I created to help you get your plan giving program started and growing. It's a membership that you join for a year and I teach you month by month, lesson by lesson, step by step, everything you need to get your planned giving program started and growing. If you're not doing planned giving and you would like to be, is it on your to-do list? Have you, like so many folks say to me, had this on your mind for a couple of years? You can get it done. You can get it started, get the initial thing started, and that's done. And then the program continues. I mean, the program doesn't finish after a year. You continue your planned giving program indefinitely, of course but you'll get plan giving off your to-do list. You get the going done. You're started 2021. The next class starts April 1st. All the info on how to pick my brain and have me teach you planned giving starting up step-by-step is at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got buku buttloads, more time for Build Your Best Better Board with Gene Takagi. I, I didn't mean to um, 
downplay the role of a uh, somebody from programming coming and speaking to the board, you know, once in a while. Um, I, I think I wanted to say that that was insufficient for the board to know what's going on programmatically, but having people come in a little bit more regularly um, or at least providing materials to the board more regularly about the program's impact, you know, and that could be through stories as well, um, kind of like in fundraising, make the board engaged with what the organization is doing programmatically and invested in doing more to help the organization do better with its programs, either serve more people or do it in a better way. You wanna create that connection so that the board rallies around you and actually helps you rather than just, again, just providing oversight and saying, we wanna make sure everything is lawful, give us all this information to make, you know, make sure that uh, we can do that. We, you wanna get more from your board. I like the idea of regular presentations at board meetings from, from program staff. Maybe the first 15 minutes of a board meeting every time is from some different employee. Maybe, maybe it's not a unique program, maybe not different programs every time, but I like the idea of devoting some board time each, each meeting to, to programs, to what our work is, but, it, but not being acquainted by the CEO, but having someone who's on the ground doing the work, answering the, I think that would be a real fertile ground for questions too, from the board. And, and, provides ongoing training. I think so too. And maybe even somebody who's a beneficiary of the services. Beneficiary um, too, yes. To say, hey, you know, you get a chance to speak to the board too, because we want to know what you feel about our programs and our organization and how you've been treated. So um, I, I think those things are good. And I, 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 again, think, Tony, that will just energize a board to want to do more. If they feel more connected, to what the organization is actually doing and not just reading about it um, and listening to the executive tell them about it. What about that important CEO board chair relationship? That should be very collegial. It should be supportive. What's your advice around for the CEOs, probably mostly CEOs listening, although we do have board members listening, but probably we have more CEOs than we do board chairs. So what's your advice there for them? Right. Although I'll say that probably a fair number of CEOs have actually acted in the capacity of a board chair uh, as well in other organizations. Um, so they may understand some of the, the, the roles uh, from both sides. Uh, I, I think my advice is, is what you had just said as well, is to have this collegial relationship and develop one where there's one of trust, where the CEO is not afraid to go to the board and say, I've got some bad news. Um, I'm looking for some guidance on this. If the CEO is always about um, my pay or my job security can be affected by telling bad news to the board chair. So I'm going to try to uh, shake hide, it, hide it, make it sound not as bad as it is, not be completely honest, et cetera. Yeah. yeah I, I think of what, you know, for-profit boards of directors may say to their shareholders and public companies, right? Like you want to, pose the best view of that organization as possible. I don't think that's a healthy relationship for a nonprofit board no. to have with its executive. And, and that should be frequent communication too. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't the CEO feel comfortable picking up the phone and, and seeking the advice of the, the board chair? I, I think so. And if it's not the board chair, I, I think it's okay at times. So your board culture is going to have to allow for this, but for them to pick up the phone and talk to another board member. So 
I'm, you know, when I serve on the board, I'm sometimes the only lawyer on the board. I want the CEO to be able to talk to me. I'm not going to be their legal counsel, but I might have a point of view or I might spot an issue if they feel like, hey, is this something we need to talk to our lawyer about? Maybe our board chair wouldn't be able to answer that question, but maybe I would as a board member. So yeah, I, I like the CEO being able to reach out to multiple board members for, for different issues. Yeah. yeah. All right. Should we, um, should we talk about terminating board members? Ah, uh, the fun their, topic. Before, <laughs> before their time is due. So let's say, you know, it's three year term and they've been on for a year and they're obstreperous, lackluster, uh, unkind, they don't belong. Let's just, for whatever reason, they don't belong. Sure. What do we, what do, we do? Yeah, it's a real tough one, right? Um, so um, sometimes uh, you have to look at it holistically. So oftentimes I get a call and that situation will arise, but it will turn out that that board member is also the biggest donor to the organization, right? Yeah. Uh, and now you've got to think, a little more diplomatically and strategically about how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, um, so again, not one size fits all, but one method um, that some organizations have used um, has been to say, let's talk with this board member and try to find the best role for them in the organization and see if we can move them off the board, but into this other role, whether it be advisory, um, or whether it be in an, uh, in an honorary position for being, you know, uh, something emeritus, you know? So give them a fancy title, ask them to show up at, at fundraising events um, uh, or to, to speak to, to foundations when you go out with them to, to do a pitch. Maybe that's where their strength is and maybe there's enough there of their passion for the mission and for the organization and what it does while they don't have passion for doing the work of a director in a strategic and diplomatic way, they may still have passion for the mission of the organization. And let's try to take advantage of that um, and use it in a way where nobody, I'll use sort of the Asian mentality of, of nobody loses face, right? Like, so everybody gets to keep their dignity and look good, um, but let's try to take advantage of not having that person be disruptive on the board anymore. And if that person isn't giving you much of a contribution in any way, then once in a while, removal is an unpleasant, but sometimes necessary option. And boards may have to decide that, again, uh, they're going to ask somebody, um, or they're actually going to vote to tell somebody um, that their services as a director are no longer needed. Um, but that has to also be done diplomatically. You have to be careful of uh, alleging reasons for doing that because that could get you involved in a defamation lawsuit from that person if they're upset with it and litigious so carefully. So this should be something that's in the bylaws then, removal of a board member. Yeah, so a lot least, of work. You at least have a documented process. I think that's right, Tony. A, a lot of um, boards have eliminated that from the bylaws because they see that as a negative, um, but then they <laughs> would default to the code, right? Um, and they're not going to usually look up what the code says about removal. Yeah. So it has to be done in a certain way. Um, and in some cases, it can get a little bit complicated if you have a voting membership structure, like for, for certain 
charities, they might have uh, members who actually elect their board members. It's more common in like trade associations and homeowners associations and things like that. But some charities have voting members and removal then becomes a lot more complicated. But having, it, having the procedure in your bylaws at least gives you kind of like the encyclopedia look at how to do this properly without feeling like it's going to be too hard. We can't do it and just live with it. I'm not familiar with this model you just described because you, and you said it's some 501c3s have elected board members. So the, yeah, so the board, has a, the board has voted members on and can only remove them. Oh, actually the opposite way. So members elect the board members. So the members are responsible for electing and potentially removing board members. So you might think of that more in terms of like a, a union or a professional association yeah. or a homeowners association where all the homeowners elect the board. If they don't like the board, they'll remove them and put somebody else onto that board. Right. So some charities are also structured that way. Um, and that was to sort of been seen as a more democratic process of, of ensuring that the board stays responsive to what the members think the mission uh, is supposed to be. Um, for smaller organizations, I generally don't recommend it because it's more costly. It's much more difficult to manage and administer. Um, but nevertheless, I, I would say about five to 10% of the charities that we run into, small charities we run into are structured that way. All right. Not ideal though. All right. But they're trying to be democratic and that's right. Okay, I see. All right. Well, that yeah, that conversation to to op that opening that conversation with the, uh, the director to be removed is is hard. Maybe maybe the maybe the board member themselves themselves uh, maybe the person them maybe they. <laughs> or I can't find the right pronoun. Maybe that person isn't happy in the role either. That that's a possibility. I mean. It could be, you know, you could sort of open the conversation with, it seems like, you know, this isn't, as you were suggesting, and I'm kind of putting a few things together, it seems like this isn't quite the right role for you. You don't seem happy as a board member. Uh, you know, you, you could open the, the conversation that way in trying to find something else to offer them. I think that's a great way often to frame that, that situation. I actually wrote an article for the nonprofit quarterly, I think called something like 10 reasons why a director may gracefully want to resign from their, their organization um, mm -hmm. board. And so, yeah, framing it from their perspective and what they're not getting is, is probably a good way to start it. I thought of something else before we wrap up. What do you think about junior boards? Uh, you know, maybe they have an advisory role. There's sort of a training and proving ground for future board members. Uh, whatever you call it, it might, it might just be the advisory board or something, but what do you think of that, that having a, that in your organization? I think if done well, it works um, really well. It, it raises potential future board members and gives you an introduction to the organization rather than bringing somebody straight into the board. They have a chance to be part of whatever you want to call it, an advisory committee or a, a, a junior board. I, I would be careful with the name depending upon who you're planning to put on it. So if, All right, yeah, then, junior board is not so good. All right, but. Uh, unless it's for, you know, unless you're putting minors on it um, right, for right. advisory positions, so. Okay, okay. But advisory, an advisory board, advisory committee, and, and it gets to be seen as a stepping stone for some folks to, to board membership. 
Yeah, and to offer thought leadership from different perspectives. Um, so I think that's good. But if you're trying to increase diversity through a, an advisory board or junior board, I would say be very careful to make it not look like it is of less importance. And that's why these people were put on there. Oh, yeah, right, right. So all your, <laughs> yes, all your, uh, all the folks of color and other underrepresented groups are on the advisory board. Yeah, that's, well, that's a sham. All right. That's, right. Exactly. That's, that's inhumane. All right. Yeah. I'm surprised you thought of that, Gene. You're, you're, <laughs> well, you see the good and the bad. So, all right. You've, it's not that you thought of it. You've seen it. You've seen it. I guess it's, it's out there somewhere. All right. Thank you, Gene. Outstanding. Outstanding advice. Gene Takagi, our legal contributor. You'll find him at nonprofitlawblog.com. You can find him at Columbia University if you're a member of their student body in, uh, what is it, nonprofit, nonprofit management uh, program at Columbia? Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll find him there. You'll also find him at neolawgroup.com and you'll find him at GTAK, at GTAC. Thank you very much, Gene. Thanks, Tony. Been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure as always. Thanks. Next week, I'm asking you to trust me. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy, and this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>